Hello and welcome to Indiana Issues, a weekly public affairs program that goes beyond the headlines and sound bites to bring you Indiana's newsmakers in their entirety. I'm your host, Abdul Hakim Shabazz, the editor and publisher of IndiePolitics.org. Today on Indiana Issues, lawmakers take a look at legalizing marijuana. Indiana Issues underwritten in part by Indigo, the Indiana Chamber of Commerce, Ivy Tech Community College, the small business law firm of Thrasher, Bushman & Local, the Institute for Quality Education, the Indiana Civil Rights Commission, and Downtown Comics, your place to escape. You're listening to Indiana Issues. When I started Ivy Tech, I lacked the confidence to do what I do now. They gave me confidence, and they helped me know that I could do anything. It actually puts you out there with the people that you're going to be working for. When we hire a graduate from Ivy Tech, we know that that individual is going to come to us very knowledgeable. A student can, in two years, get a degree that prepares him for a job. It's a partnership, and that's been great for us, and it's been great for them. I'm doing things now I never dreamed I'd be doing years ago. Welcome back to Indian Issues. I'm your host, Abdul Kim Shabazz, the editor and publisher of IndyPolitics.org. Well, Indian lawmakers made a little bit of history this week. The House Criminal Courts and Code Committee heard testimony on House Bill 1297, a bill that would decriminalize the possession of two ounces of lesser marijuana. Now, there was no vote, but the fact that there was a hearing shows how things have changed in the Hoosier State over the past several years. Here's some of that testimony right now. Next up is going to be House Bill 1297. Let me establish some ground rules before we start. Um, Representative uh, Van Adder will present the bill. Um, committee members will be able to ask Representative Van Adder questions. Then uh, we will take testimony of support of the bill. You'll have 30 minutes. There are currently nine people signed up to testify, so that's a little over three minutes apiece, and I will cut you off um, if you go over that. Um, and then uh, we'll have 30 minutes in opposition. Uh, there's three people signed up to testify, so that gives them a little bit ten mi- more time of 10 minutes apiece. Uh, committee members, what I want you to do is if somebody who is testifying, you have a question for them, uh, keep their name, write down what your question is, and then we have 20 minutes of question and answer after the presentations. That's to keep the ball moving and, and have the conversations take place. Again, we will doing testimony only, and no vote will be taken. Representative Van Anner, the floor is yours. Thank you, Madam Chair, members of the committee. Um, I didn't know how you wanted to handle I have an amendment. I didn't know if you wanted to do that first or... Go ahead and talk to your amendment. Okay. So the, the bill would uh, decriminalize two ounces or less of marijuana. That, that doesn't really take into uh, account edibles. So um, we, we put the limits for edibles in there as well. Those align with uh, the, the neighboring states around us. And also I put age limit. I didn't intend to leave out age restrictions, so it's, it's 21 and over. So that's the amendment. Any questions for Representative Van Adder? I don't have questions that I was going to say. If we're not going to vote the bill, I don't know if we need to formally amend it. But I appreciate you noting that those would be changes you'd make in the bill if it were to move. He wanted to have it just for discussion purposes. So um, just wanted to have the amendment in there so it would be included in the record as a discussion member. So if we can, can we take it by consent? Consent. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Today I bring before you House Bill 1297. I imagine this one-and-a-half-page bill will be the smallest bill you hear this session, but the impact would be huge. 1297 simply decriminalizes small amounts of marijuana. It's time that Indiana joins all of its neighboring states. Every state around us has some form of legalization. Ohio and Kentucky have medical, and Illinois and Michigan are recreational. I will note that Ohio decriminalized marijuana in 1975. 
I look forward to working with law enforcement to help uh, address some of their concerns. There are many medical purposes for cannabis. Um, currently, Indiana has an estimated $2 billion cannabis market with no quality control standards in place. Um, while regulations are ideal, uh, the ideal outcome, decriminalization provides our jud judicial and law enforcement an opportunity to reprioritize their resources to meet their community needs. Uh, in a recent study, 85% of Hoosiers support general cannabis reform, um, leaving only 15% wanting the status quo. Indiana should be proactive instead of re reactive regarding to the lack of action of the federal government. I look forward to the discussion and answer any questions. Any questions for Representative Van Adder? Okay, thank you very much. Okay, just a second. Get my timer set up. Okay, uh, first up, Justin Swanson, and then followed by Joel Winicky and Katie Wiley. Thank you, Chairwoman McNair and members of the committee for the opportunity today to provide testimony in support of House Bill 1297. I also want to thank Representative Van Natter for filing the bill and his leadership on the issue over the last few years. This is truly a historic moment for the state. My name is Justin Swanson with Boats Public Affairs Group, and I'm here representing uh, 3CHI in the Midwest Hemp Council. 3CHI is, is the pioneer in bringing innovative hemp-derived cannabinoid products to market by leveraging its patent-advanced manufacturing processes and its national and international distribution channels to responsibly meet consumer demand. Midwest, Midwest Hemp Council is the premier trade, uh, regional trade association whose members are building out the grain, fiber, and cannabinoid uh, supply chain across the country. My testimony is going to be divided into three brief parts. Um, first, from Midwest Hemp Council's perspective, that the current prohibition of marijuana negatively impacts our farmers, small businesses, and consumers participating in the hemp industry today. Um, second, from Three Chi's perspective, that responsible regulations is the best policy moving forward for all stakeholders involved, from law enforcement to employers to consumers, farmers, and other small businesses. Finally, from the perspective of a veteran who used cannabis to successfully transition back into civilian life, who is not able to be here uh, with us today. Uh, unfortunately, the retail sale, uh, retail sale and possession of hemp flour is currently a crime in Indiana because of marijuana prohibition. This criminalization has severely restricted the market for our hemp farmers and its small businesses and has resulted in confusing laws. Uh, for an example, currently farmers are prohibited from selling hemp, hemp uh, flour outside of state lines and can only sell it to a licensed processor in the state. Um, despite all these restrictions placed on our farmers, federal law prohibits the interference of uh, the interstate transportation of hemp and hemp products. So to be clear, hemp flour is considered an agricultural product by the federal government, and Indiana has chosen to classify it as a Class B misdemeanor. Despite all the selective uh, criminalization of retail hemp flour, it is currently being sold all over the state in retail settings and shipped directly to mailboxes via online sales. USPS even has guidance on how to properly ship hemp flour in the mail directly <laughs> to consumers. To be clear, consumer demand is being met with no age restrictions and no quality control standards in place and no consequences for breaking the law. Law-abiding farmers and small business, business owners around the state lament the fact they continue to lose market share to competitors who knowingly break the law with no fear of consequence. This frustration becomes clear when you compare market prices for hemp flour sold to a processor, which our farmers are restricted to currently right now, uh, uh, versus um, hemp flour sold to a uh, retail market. Uh, 
So according to December 2022 data from Pan Exchange, the midpoint price for hemp sold to a processor was about $3 a pound, assuming a 10% CBD uh, content. The midpoint price for hemp flour sold on the retail market is about $350 a pound. This means the same crop can be about 100 times more valuable to our farmers, depending on the end market, and yet our farmers and small businesses don't have access to this market because of marijuana prohibition in the state. I'm going to shift now to, to Three Cheese perspective. Um, Three Cheese very grateful to continue to explore different approaches to responsible cannabis perform with the General Assembly. Peer-reviewed data continues to, st- to, dem- uh, to demonstrate the best policy for all stakeholders involved is a set of holistic cannabis regulations designed to responsibly meet consumer demand. Cannabis Public Policy Consulting conducted one of the largest studies to date, examining data from 5,000 respondents in August 2022 to explore the impact cannabis regulations has had on uh, public health. Your time is up. Oh. If you want to finish real quick, you may. Um, yeah, just real quickly, I, I do want to point out that the regu- like regulating is uh, beneficial to public health. In states that provide a, re- a medical and adult use market, you have older age at first cannabis use, fewer days of past month use for those 16 to 20 years old, and fewer days of driving under the influence of cannabis in the past month. And very quickly, Chairwoman, um, yes, there is no roadside test to detect impairment from cannabis currently. Uh, we're one of 12 states that haven't figured that out, but it really is about training law enforcement and um, uh, public education campaigns on the dangers of consuming cannabis and driving. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Uh, Representative Bartels will help you out by holding up a 30-second left. All right. <laughs> All right. Hi, Joel Wenneke again, still from the Indiana Public Defender Council. Uh, we rise in support of this legislation. Uh, you know, there's a real impact on our clients' lives when they are prosecuted for marijuana possession, something that they could uh, readily use or partake in just across state lines, some of which are living very close to those state lines. But that's not really what I'm here to talk about today. I'm here to talk about some of the technical problems with the prosecution of uh, marijuana products that we have recognized after two Indiana Court of Appeals decisions. Uh, One, which I believe is pronounced Fetage, was the defendant, and another one, Toledo Rojo. And so because smokable hemp and other products containing lesser amounts of THC are not illegal substances in the state of Indiana, there there is uh, certain things that are available to Indiana citizens, When there's a suspected product that is taken into possession and the person is arrested for it, uh, the state still has to meet that burden of demonstrating that that product, whether it's a green leafy substance or if it's some sort of an edible cookie or whatever it might be, contains a threshold amount of tetrahydrocannabinol. I probably shouldn't have tried to say that. THC. uh, That is... (laughs) That exceeds that threshold. Uh, And so in the uh, Toledo Rojo case, it just dealt with a green leafy substance. The state did not send it off to a lab. uh, And so they were unable to prove and demonstrate that the green leafy substance wasn't something that was actually lawful. Uh, And the officer admitted that there was no training or experience that she had uh, to to distinguish something without laboratory testing what is below the threshold and what was beyond the threshold. So the conviction for possession of uh, marijuana was uh, 
overruled by the Indiana Court of Appeals. Uh, in the Fetage case, it involved not just uh, green leafy substances, but also uh, products that contain labeling on the package. Now, despite the fact that the package contained words and representations that would have made someone think that this would be an illegal substance by containing more than that threshold, it's not a product. Uh, well, we have hearsay rules. And so the objection to the introduction of the labeling on those packages uh, was initially it was allowed in, but the Court of Appeals said it was not reliable hearsay and it couldn't be entered under the uh, market regulation uh, language exception because this was not it, it's not governed by federal law to, you know, detail how much is in there and how much is not. All right. Long story short. If we want to be able to uh, prosecute individuals for these offenses, Indiana is going to have to invest in extensive test testing increases, uh, laboratories around the state. And so we're going to have to make a choice. Do we want to make a very significant financial investment in order to prosecute individuals for these products? Or do we want to join our neighboring states and decriminalize these substances? Thank you. Katie Wiley, then Dr. Feldman, Andrew Bauman, and Keith Johnson. I'll try not to turn it off. Thank you, Madam Chair, and the rest of the committee for being willing to engage in this particular conversation and going first. Let me briefly introduce myself. myself. My name is Katie Wiley. I am the Chief Legal Officer and Chief Strategy Officer for Stash Ventures. Stash is a Michigan vertically integrated cannabis company with strong ties to Indiana. For those who are new to the industry, vertically integrated simply means that we hold licenses for cultivation, processing, and retail business locations. I understand we are here to debate the value of decriminalization for cannabis-related charges, and we appreciate the work done by the authors of this particular bill. As you'll hear from other supporters, there is positive benefit for those with minimal criminal records for possession or cannabis use. The impact of a criminal record can deter them from positive life changes like employment, student loan applications, and universities. However, I'd like to take a moment to specifically address something that we acknowledge cannabis is in the state of Indiana if people are being charged with it. Yet if we fail to couple decriminalization with a legalized cannabis market to protect our Hoosier constituents from the black market, then I think we've probably failed to address the core root issue. And we would advocate, at least in our opinion, that each of you as elected officials to have a duty to prevent harm to each of your constituents. As a fellow Hoosier, as a mom, as a sister of a recovering addict, this is not just my job. This is a very personal issue for me. I hope that each of you would have the opportunity to contemplate legislation regarding a regulated cannabis market. This would allow for three primary things. One, safety and purchasing safety in the products, and safety in use. So what do I mean by safety in the product? You know, in our operations in Michigan, we and our consumer base knows exactly what is in our product. It is labeled, it is packaged as safe as humanly possible. We absolutely cannot transfer product to a consumer that has a hint of a microorganism or a hint of a chemical compound in it that could cause harm. I'm not so certain our local Indiana dealers can say that. 
As for safety and purchasing, with a regulated environment, we can give adults a safe place to purchase this product. Retail locations in legalized markets are not back alley type environments. We're required to verify age limits. We're required to monitor the amount of product allowed to be purchased. Product labeling, product education, and even advertising is done in a way that the government can monitor and maintain those requirements. And it's done in a way to prevent use by those who shouldn't be using cannabis. And as for safety and use, from our perspective, taking one step past decriminalization to a regulated adult-use cannabis market also has societal benefits. I will hurry. Um, You can prevent use in public spaces and in and around children. So I want to sincerely thank each of you for your time, your consideration, and I leave you with this reminder. While we sit here and debate this, these policies have real-life implications for our fellow Hoosiers. We at Stash Ventures invite future conversation, and we simply believe that Indiana has an opportunity to learn from our neighboring states and get it right using Hoosier values and common sense. Time? (laughs) Thanks. Thank you very much. Didn't know you'd be sweating that quickly. <laughs> Dr. Feldman, Andrew Bowen, and Keith Johnson, please. Madam Chair, uh, thank you very much and members of the committee for the opportunity to speak. Uh, I'm here uh, because I thought it would be valuable to the committee to hear from at least one physician group uh, regarding this issue. Uh, I am Richard Feldman. I'm a family physician. I'm legislative chair of the Indiana Academy of Family Physicians and former Indiana State Health Commissioner. The IAFP, the Indiana Academy of Family Physicians, neither endorses or opposes the legalization of medical marijuana and does not endorse uh, recreational uh, legalization of marijuana. But the Academy does support, clearly, the decriminalization of marijuana for personal use. We recognize the benefits of intervention and treatment, if indicated, for the use of marijuana rather than incarceration for both adults and youth. Marijuana is not a hard drug. It's not a narcotic and certainly safer than alcohol and tobacco. It should be legally treated accordingly. There is no evidence that marijuana is a gateway drug any more than alcohol can be considered so. And there was just a a most recent article in Psychological Medicine attesting to that. And I do want to point out, uh, you can look at any any part of the medical literature um, and the non-medical literature and show studies to support any position on marijuana and its safety and benefits and risks. Most importantly, from a broad public health perspective, marijuana-related convictions and the resulting uh, marginalization and negative consequences are not justified from either moral or cost-to-society standpoint. Decriminalization has not uh, resulted in increased use, including use, and is supported by multiple medical professional societies. Um, JAMA just had an article uh, demonstrating no decrease, uh, increased use after decriminalization, including youth. Uh, other medical societies nationally that support decriminalization, the American Academy of Family Physicians, uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Nurses Association, and 
a little nuanced uh, support is from the uh, American Medical Association. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak. Thank you. Madam Chair, members of the committee, thank you for having me and allowing me to speak. I'm Andrew Bauman with Bauman Governmental Affairs, and I'm representing two groups today, both Indiana Normal and then ESEPS products. Um, I'll be super brief because there's plenty of other people to talk. I would just focus on, with our policies right now, how many veterans are having opioid issues that are going to other states, moving to other states, whether it's our friend Jason, who we've all talked to multiple times, or others that are suffering silently. Uh, how many citizens have we lost to these competing states? beyond the fact that it's already here, the product's here. There's not going to be a world where cannabis is gone, so we need to start planning for it, regulating it properly, and ensuring that Hoosiers have safe access to this product, as well as farmers and companies, so that we don't leave them further behind as other states have got caught up. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Thank you very much for hearing this and showing leadership on the issue and giving us the opportunity to talk about it and bring in folks from both sides to chat about it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Keith Johnson, Jack Kane, and then Jim Lucas. Hello, thank you for having me today. My name is Keith Johnson. I'm co-owner of the Carboxyl Group in Shelby County, Indiana. We're a hemp processing lab and a CBD products company. Uh, we're licensed by the Indiana Board of Pharmacy as an analytical research and compounding lab, and I currently hold a Schedule One narcotics license that's not really doing me a lot of good right now, We'll see what the future holds. Uh, one of the things, I'm out here to talk about my business, but what I do on the side, and that is I donate products to those who are suffering certain conditions and don't want to deal with the pharmacological side effects of prescription drugs, for instance, with uh, Parkinson's disease. Uh, the side effects of those medications are just brutal. My dad couldn't handle it. Uh, a lot of the veterans I help with my products, legal cannabinoid products, CBD, CBG, CBN, and combinations thereof, uh, is for to help Parkinson's veterans who served during Vietnam and were exposed to Agent Orange, and therein lies the origin of their Parkinson's disease. And they do receive some benefit from these compounds that I create, but the receptors involved in the brain, I'm not going to get too deep on it, but like in the basal ganglia, G-protein receptor 55, TRPV receptors uh, also in the nervous system, they reduce the threshold to pain that's felt. Um, well, increase that threshold to where you're not hurting as badly. The GPR 55 uh, helps calm tremors in the extremities, leg pain for Parkinson's. Um, it really helps these guys out a lot. Here's the issue. It doesn't help them out like THC does. THC is legendary in its ability to help certain conditions like Parkinson's. They don't have the option for that, and the few who have chosen to go that route um, they've said, you know, it's illegal. They're, they're going to make me a criminal for doing this. And I said, well, you know, that's kind of where we're at in the state with that right now. Now, these, these are veterans who served in war for us and were exposed to chemicals that, you know, uh, were utilized in war. And now they're suffering at very dear price in their older years. Some don't want the buzz, and they would rather go with my products. Some want to use marijuana. They are, by definition, criminals in the state of Indiana. Um, same with cancer patients that I help. They get fined. A lot of them also choose to utilize black market 
marijuana to alleviate chemotherapy symptoms. And I, I come from a posi- position to, of compassion for these guys, and I think as a state we should. There are some of our elderly population, they're veterans. Uh, many of them are Bronze Star recipients. Well, not many of them, two of them, and a Silver Star. These people are very valuable to us as Hoosiers, very valuable to me, and I would like to see decrim happen just out of a just a purely a position of compassion and good conscience and caring for those who served us let's serve them with decriminalization at a minimum thank you madam chairman and members of the committee thanks very much for letting me speak with you this morning uh, my name is jack kane i'm here on behalf of jeff staker the founder of hoosier veterans for medical cannabis he called this morning was ill and regrets that he can't be here to speak with you. Uh, so I wanted to kind of piggyback on some of the things that Keith said. Uh, Jeff is a 15-year-old, 15-year Marine veteran uh, who's work, been working with uh, veterans to uh, elab- elaborate, na- enable them to have access to medical cannabis. Okay, as you know, there's, and let's piggyback on what Keith said earlier, there's thousands of Hoosier veterans suffering from various ailments, from PTSD, cancer, addiction, and suicide. And Jeff and I, over the several years, have had, talked to several veterans throughout the state, and, relating to the, and they've related to us how cannabis use has helped them overcome a lot of the ailments they had, okay? ailments that the VA medicines have not been able to help them. Okay? We both know of several Hoosier families that have left the state to go to Michigan because they can have access to their medicine up there in Michigan. So they're trying to do this to help not to get high, but to be able to have a good, healthy life. Okay. So Indiana is now losing uh, veterans because of these outdated laws. This is not good for our state. And, why, and the, the bottom line is, and this is one of the things that Jeff wanted me to leave you with, is why should these veterans who have done so much for our country be treated as criminals when they're just trying to lead a, dis- a decent life? So thank you very much for your testimony for your time. Thank you. Jim Lucas, Katie Blair, and Josh Webb. Thank you, Madam Chair, members of the uh, committee. I appreciate you hearing this uh, issue today, and I greatly appreciate Representative Van Adder bringing this issue to the forefront. I'm here as a citizen. I'm not here as as legislator. But for years, Jim Lucas, the legislator, has been working on this because he educated himself on this issue. And that's all I ask of you guys is educate yourself on this. This summer, um, Representative uh, Barrett had an incredible summer study committee four hours that we heard tremendous amounts of testimony on in favor of. The research is out there. The data is out there. And I know that was an obstacle from our governor here a while back, why he did not want to act on this. But we can no longer hide from that. You've heard testimony this morning of people that are being helped by this. Veterans, not just veterans, but people that suffer from uh, diseases, illnesses, and cancer. I personally know of some people that have benefited from this. But yet, for whatever reason, the state of Indiana, knowing all the positives of cannabis, the state of Indiana continues to criminalize good Hoosiers that simply want to enjoy a better quality of life. Now, that's not what government's for. So I ask, not just this committee, but I ask leadership in this state, why in the hell do we continue to criminalize Hoosiers that simply want a better quality of life, knowing that there are 41 other states out there that have a medical cannabis program. There are 23 states that have recreational, and we're surrounded by states that have some form of either recreational or medical cannabis programs. Now, we know for a fact 
that thousands of Hoosiers travel across state lines to go to other states to buy a product that is legal in their state. And once they come back across our state line, the state of Indiana determines that they are a criminal. Now, this is a great first step to get this conversation going. Two ounces is not that much. In any state, you're limited to one ounce a day. So a person takes a weekend, goes across state lines, buys two ounces for whatever reason. That's none of our business. If they want to use it recreationally or for pain management, that's none of the government's business. But we come back here, two ounces, that's what they can buy in two days. We choose to criminalize them. Now, I've sat up here for several years. I've watched the state of Indiana expand its alcohol programs, which I'm all for. 100,000 people die each year from alcohol abuse, or from alcohol um, symptoms and abuse. Not one recorded death has ever occurred from cannabis, simply because you cannot die from an overdose. What, what you can die from are things such as cocaine, methadone, methamphetamine, oxycodone, and fentanyl. All of those are Schedule II drugs. Our government has made cannabis a Schedule I drug. And that's what we are hiding behind, the fact that cannabis has been made a Schedule I, erroneously, and we know we choose to not do anything with it. So, again, Madam Chair, I greatly appreciate you having the courage to hear us, to give these people a voice. But I encourage the General Assembly to take it one step further, and let's go through the process to get somewhere with this, as other states have shown that they can do. Thank you. Hi. It is not every day. Oh, I'm Katie Blair. I'm the director of advocacy and public policy at the ACLU of Indiana. It's not every day that I'm sandwiched between Representative Lucas and Americans for Prosperity. So this is a very exciting day for me here. <laughs> so um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak today. We are proud to support House Bill 1297 as a positive effort to begin decriminalization of marijuana here in Indiana. Punitive drug policies have disproportionately criminalized black and brown Hoosiers for decades, fueling our mass incarceration crisis. Marijuana possession arrests make up 45% of all arrests in Indiana, and although black people and white people use cannabis at similar rates, black Hoosiers are 3.5 times more likely to be arrested for cannabis possession than white Hoosiers. The war on cannabis, like the war on drugs overall, was a failure that ruined millions of lives. It has torn apart families and decimated communities, all while acting as a vehicle for racial injustice. Indiana can begin to rectify the harms that decades of these policies have inflicted and continue to inflict on communities of color by taking this step towards decriminalization. For these reasons, we urge House Courts and Criminal Code Committee to vote yes on House Bill 1297. Thank you. Uh, Chairwoman McNamara, members of the committee, as Katie mentioned, my name is Josh Webb, and I'm state director of Americans for Prosperity in Indiana. It's a privilege to testify before you today in support of House Bill 297. I want to thank Representative Van Natter for his leadership in introducing this legislation. 
It's a grassroots-based organization which champions limited government, personal freedom, and fiscal responsibility. Americans for Prosperity supports House Bill 1297 as an important policy change which will benefit our state. This new approach to the possession of small amounts of cannabis will allow Hoosier law enforcement to prioritize their finite resources more effectively toward their core mission of solving and preventing property and violent crimes. For more than 50 years, most states, including Indiana, have criminalized the possession of cannabis. These laws were adopted during a time when the prevailing wisdom was that cannabis had no accepted medical use and was extremely dangerous to consume in any amount. In the subsequent years, much of our understanding of cannabis has dramatically changed. A growing body of research has revealed that cannabis can be an effective treatment for certain medical conditions, and there have been an admission from experts that it lacks some of the dangers associated with other drugs, such as fatal overdoses. While all the while, one thing has remained clear. Total prohibition has not achieved its goal of decreasing cannabis use, has diverted limited resources away from violent crime, and damaged trust between police officers and the communities they serve. Drug prohibition has become, since the 1980s, a principal entry point to the criminal justice system. According to the U.S. Department of Justice, almost one in six individuals in state and federal prisons are there for drug-related offenses. Most states have now at least implicitly recognized the failures of prohibition and the potential promise of cannabis as an innovative medical treatment by allowing their citizens access to certain products. They've attempted to do so in ways that better control quality and access among children. Recent reforms have occurred in states as diverse as Alabama, Connecticut, Montana, New Mexico, and Virginia. These reforms have put Indiana in the advantageous position of learning from the successes and the mistakes of our fellow states to choose a new path for ourselves, a path where we can end policies that have been counterproductive and harmful to the lives of too many Hoosiers, and where we recognize the new research around the potential risks, benefits, and uses of cannabis products. House Bill 1297 is a smart policy change on this front, and we ask for your support of the bill. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. I don't think there's anyone else signed up to testify in support. We will move on um, to those who oppose. We'll start with Barbara Rosenberger. Oh, Rosenberg. I'm adding, I'm adding letters to your name. Um, Madam Chairwoman, members of the committee, thank you for having us today. My name is Barbara Rosenberg, and I represent the Indiana State Police as one of their legal counsel. And today we rise in opposition to House Bill 1297 and the decriminalization of marijuana in Indiana. Um, I do understand there was an amendment in this bill that raised the age for possession up to 21, um, which is helpful. But there are still concerns about um, anyone having access to this if you can grow this product in your backyard or have that ability. Um, and with that comes the concern that there will be enhanced use prior to driving on our roads, which is a big um, policy issue for the state police. So I did hear it will free up resources to deal with other crimes if we're not dealing with marijuana, but we are concerned that there will be an increase in traffic accidents and fatal accidents on the road. Um, NHTSA studies show that there's an increase in drug use among fatally injured drivers across the country. And in the Summer Study Committee, the um, Criminal Justice Institute provided statistics that the fatal accidents in Indiana continue to rise since 2020. And we are concerned that with more people using marijuana and then getting on our roads, that that will also increase fatalities and accidents on the roadway. Um, there's no, currently no evidence-based me method to detect marijuana impaired driving or studies to determine how impairment correlates to the presence of THC in the body. 
um, making enforcement of impaired driving difficult when it's related to drug use, specifically marijuana. Um, we have ways to look at alcohol and levels in the blood system, but we do not have that science settled at this point when it comes to marijuana. Um, overall, ISP opposes this bill and has significant concerns about highway safety and the increase of accidents and impaired driving should this bill pass. Thank you. Brock Patterson with IPEC. Sorry, Barbie, I think I'm going to have to raise this back. Whoop! And then I lost a microphone. Sorry. WRTV. My fault. It's worse than that, Brock. I think it was WFYI. Ooh. <laughs> Your toast. <laughs> All right. Well, with that entrance, got it. Brock Patterson, Indiana Prosecuting, uh, Indiana Prosecuting Attorney's Counsel. Um, we rise in opposition to this bill. Um, we've, we, we've been opposed to any sort of uh, any form of legalization in the past, and we continue to share that position today. Um, I agree with a lot of what um, Barbie had already mentioned in her uh, testimony, but um, you know, for the for the sake of the argument here, I, I, I do want to point out. I think that there's really two things that are uh, two questions rather that are being asked in this bill. One, should the state decriminalize marijuana? And two, if so, is this the way to do it? Um, and addressing that first question, which I think is the impetus of this uh, of this committee hearing today, um, I think the first thing we should do is look at other states. Um, Twenty seven states. And D.C. at some point have decriminalized small amounts of marijuana. Of those 27, at least 17 have passed full legalization since that time. So for us, that's our first concern. There's a slippery slope. Once we open this door, we really can't ever go back. Um, it, I think to confirm that suspicion, you can look in the room. We've had most of the proponents um, that have testified today have already said that decriminalization is a good start, but they'd like to get to full legalization. Uh, and we would be, again, opposed to that course of action as well. Um, so if the Indiana, Indiana legislature were to do this, um, you all should know that ultimately what you're doing is setting up a vote to pass legalization of marijuana. Um, I, I saw a sign outside. I want to address that for the history of decriminalization. In 1972, the Nixon administration, through the National Commission on Marijuana, published what's often called the Schaefer Report. Um, it was rejected by Nixon, but it recommended decriminalization uh, for small levels of personal use. Um, I, I think that that commission may have come down. We, we will never know, but I think that they may have come down differently had it been recommissioned today. The marijuana of, of the early 1970s is not what we see today in, in legal states. The uh, potency levels of THC are dramatically higher than what they were even in 2010, just prior to when Colorado legalized. Um, and, you know, I've, I've heard from the proponents that uh, there are a lot of favorable reports out there, but I can tell you that for every favorable report you see, I can match it with something that is very concerning. Um, just last week, I, I, I ran across a Politico article that collected a number of these studies that showed um, not only that the concentration of THC in the plant and in vapes and edibles are much higher than they were in 2010, um, cannabis-induced psychosis disorder is recognized in the DSM-5. And basically, um, without getting into the weeds of that, basically what we're saying is if you have a uh, predetermined tendency to uh, – sorry, I, I got that joke. Uh, <laughs> 
if you have a, uh, a biological tendency towards something like schizophrenia, it's actually uh, uh, a more severe outcome for you if you um, have any sort of uh, repeated or chronic use of marijuana. Um, child poisonings and overdose are up from 207 reported uh, in t- uh, 2017 to over 3,000 in 2021. Legal states are seeing the highest increase. That's a CDC statistic. Um, some studies have linked teen use to increased risk of depression and suicide. Um, a recent study uh, out of Oregon recorded teen use is up 245% over a 20-year period. Um, the Journal of Public Health reported that OWI deaths involving cannabis more than doubled between 2000 and 2018. These are all issues. Um, they're all issues both in a legal and a decriminalized state uh, because of the message sent by the change in law. Um, we've always been opposed to any form of legalization because of these issues, the issues we hear from our partners in other states and what we see in our cases. It's not uncommon that we see cases of drug use, OWI, or other crimes that have been committed that marijuana is present. Um, uh, poly drug use is becoming more and more common. I think Barbie already testified to that fact in our OWI statistics. And, uh, you know, even though we believe that the law should remain unchanged, prosecutors do already treat possession of marijuana differently. Um, it can be a, uh, it can be a diversionary crime. Um, oftentimes the case, unless the amount is close to the felony level or unless the person has, um, an immense, uh, criminal history or there's other crimes being committed at that same time. Um, however, if the body were, uh, to move towards decriminalization, it should stop, should stop there. Legalization only exacerbates the issues. Um, I've been to other states. I've heard what the proponents of legal legalization, uh, uh, those representatives say. The number one issue there is the black market. It doesn't stop. I've, I was in Michigan last year, and that's all I heard from um, their state regulators and the parties that are involved. And so to, to say that the black market here is any worse than it is in a legal state, I, I just don't believe is accurate. Um, if we were to go the route of decriminalization. I'm not sure that this bill is the way that we do it. Uh, state possession limits are dramatically lower in um, even legal states. So two ounces of possession is actually pretty high. I mean, we're talking about between, depending on what your usage is, that's between a month to three months of use. Uh, you can't carry two ounces in your hands. Um, these are, you know, a, a, an ounce is called is, you know, commonly called a zip. These things are, you know, quart to gallon size bags that carry, um, uh, that, that, that carry that quantity. Our current class B misdemeanor level is, uh, that would elevate it to a felony is any more than 30 grams an ounce is 28 grams. So we would be doubling what we already consider a class B misdemeanor. Um, for instance, Hawaii, the possession amount, that's decriminalized three grams. New Mexico, half an ounce. New uh, North Dakota, half an ounce. New Hampshire, three quarters of an ounce. Illinois, 10 grams. Uh, New York, one ounce. Vermont, one ounce. North Carolina, half an ounce. Nebraska, an ounce. Um, what we're talking about is at least $250 for an ounce. So at two ounces, you know, we're talking about a, a, a pretty substantial quantity here. Um, I've not found a state that has decriminalized with this high of, a, high of an amount other than Michigan. Michigan is the only state in the country that I've found that allows for two ounces, and it has to be purchased at a legal dispensary. Um, uh, another issue in here is that it doesn't create an infraction. Um, back to the Schaefer report, Ohio decriminalized back in 1975 after that report's findings. But what they did was they made it 
a infraction that was controlled by the locals. Um, in recent years, I think Cleveland made it a $0 fine, so that would be in line with what this bill does. But a majority of uh, Ohio and a majority of legal states, so a majority of Ohio doesn't allow for a lessened infraction, and a majority of legal states, uh, the majority of their municipalities don't even allow for the sale. So Colorado, I think it's still about 70% of the municipalities do not allow for recreational sale of cannabis. It's I, Last time I checked, it's about 100 out of 272 cities and towns. Um, and the last thing I want to touch here is the amendment. Uh, the amendment doesn't specify what THC. I think it's a good direction that we're aiming at uh, the age limits here at 21. I think it's also a good direction that we're not just incorporating the plant, but we're incorporating what's commonly more um, more commonly used these days is the edibles, the vapes. And the issue with that is kind of what we're facing already. Even if you don't do anything here, we're already facing the issue of the legality of other variants of THC. It's not just Delta 9 THC, but there's a, you know, a laundry list now of cannabinoids that um, uh, have psychoactive effects similar to Delta 9. So because that amendment doesn't touch that, there's a court of appeals case that said that we have to prove exactly what is in uh, that vape cartridge. We can't just go off of the labeling. And uh, the defense brought up that it wasn't Delta 9, it was Delta 8. And so with this, I don't know if that answers that Supreme Court or that uh, Court of Appeals case or if it makes it worse. But in any effect, um, those are our concerns with the bill as it is. Uh, and at the end of the day, in our opinion, Indiana is safer being behind the curve. And uh, the report is not conclusive on marijuana. It's still federally illegal, and for those reasons, we oppose. Thank you. And Ashton Eller. Try to be gentle here. Uh, I'm going to make it short today because the time limits, I appreciate your time. Thank you, Madam Chair and members of the committee. I'm Ashton Eller, Vice President of Healthcare Policy and Employment Law with the Indiana Chamber of Commerce. I rise today in opposition to House Bill 1297. Uh, in 2017, the Chamber adopted a position that the legalization and or decriminalization of marijuana uh, we oppose the legalization of decriminalization of marijuana in any form for recreational use in that position we've held since 2017. I'm going to keep this short today, but if you'd like to hear a bit more about the chamber's position on marijuana, please, I recommend that you watch uh, the testimony of my predecessor, Mike Ripley, in front of the Interim Study Committee on Public Health on September 20th, 2022, the meeting that's been referenced previously today. Um, one can concern the chamber maintains is there currently has been no consistent level of per se limit or what could be determined as legally intoxicated. I'm sorry, legally impaired. I apologize. We have seen from other statutes that there is no consistency of what has been passed as a per se limit. We also understand there's currently a reliable, there is no currently reliable metric for determining the particular level of THC in marijuana usage that impairs the user and for how long the user remains impaired is currently difficult or impossible to determine. It's important particularly because of the potential for workplace accidents that our employers uh, deal with on a somewhat 
regular basis, unfortunately. Uh, some deal with it on a regular basis and some do not. Another concern is that state-by-state shifts in marijuana policies have created concerns and confusion for employers, employees, and job applicants about workforce drug testing, specifically addressing marijuana. Some of the confusion lies in the federal law versus state laws. This challenge of providing practical advice on marijuana workplace testing is complicated because of the sale and use of marijuana remains illegal under federal law in every state in the nation, and also because some workplace drug testing is mandated by federal law, even in states that permit medical or recreational use of marijuana under state law. Some of the employers must test for marijuana and hold those accountable who test positive for marijuana under federal government mandates. The federal government requires testing of DOT employees and commercial drivers, airline pilots, flight attendants, railroad engineers, and uh, conductors. In addition, under the Federal Drug-Free Workplace Act, if an employer wishes to maintain a contract with the federal government, the employer must agree not to engage in the unlawful manufacture, distribution, disposition, possession, or use of a controlled substance in the performance of their contract. As a result, employers maintain contract compliance by drug testing their employees. Those states that have enacted marijuana legalization have, in essence, created a two-tiered system. We are concerned about the decriminalization at this time could further hurt the workforce pool for these Hoosier employers. If the legislature chooses to decriminalize marijuana at some form in recreational use for the benefit of individual constituents, the General Assembly will have to deal with the societal costs that are being discussed and ultimately the impact of the work for, to the workforce employers have to navigate through this process. The responsibility as policymakers is yours to determine whether the individual benefits are worth the trade-offs. Some believe that the benefits are worth the risks. The Indiana Chamber is not convinced. Thank you for your time today, Madam Chair and members of the committee. I understand this bill is testimony only, but if you, it does come up for a vote in the future, I humbly ask that you vote no. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. With that, um, I'll put 20 minutes on the clock if uh, any of the committee members have a question uh, for a particular person, please state who the person is you want to ask that question to. And if there's another individual that has a question for that one as well, we'll get that person the conversation at the same time. So any questions from the committee? to those that testified. Representative Nagel. Thank you. Actually, the last speaker, and I have a bit of a cold, so sorry if I sound funny. <clears throat> so I'm just curious in um, your, your data, do you have, um, I mean, obviously a lot of companies do drug testing, mm-hmm. and so do you have any uh, information within your data of how many people are showing up positive for THC that are being eliminated as potential employees? I do not have that data with me. But I will get that for you. I believe I have it somewhere in my office, and I will email that to you. But, but I don't have it with me right now. I'm and I sorry. think that's really an important piece to this understanding. This. Thank yeah. you. I... Any other thank questions you. for him? All right. Thank you very much. All right, Representative Bartels. Thank you, Madam Chair. <clears throat> if Brock could come back. So I just kind of want to start with a statement because whether we agree or disagree with legalizing, decriminalizing is is more important for me to understand from my background, as you know, is I'm concerned with this impairment issue, right? We we already have citizens that can do this elsewhere legally. They come here, and we've got to figure this thing out. We talk about alcohol and how we've figured that science out. Well, that that science has grown over over 
time, right? We, it was over 0.1, it was right. 0 0.1, 0 0.8. So right. I think that we've got to come together, and I do appreciate Madam Chair and the committee for hearing this because my, my concern is mostly how do we deal with this impairment? I know there's testing. Some of it's reliable, so it's not reliable. So where do we see the prosecutors on the situation right now that truly our citizens are probably being punished unjustly? Well, <clears throat> I think if, if you look at other states, right, I, the, the common thing that's thrown out is the nanogram limit. And the problem with nanograms is that it doesn't show up in everybody consistently. I'll go back to 1972. The Schaefer Report noted that marijuana can stay in your system, in your brain, up to eight days. And it doesn't – it's all different depending on how much you've used, what your body type is, uh, uh, the frequency in which you're using it. it. All of these things are different. So unlike alcohol where we've got this consistent trend curve of, okay, you've started drinking, you've stopped drinking, and now the slope is you know down the, uh, on the decline. With marijuana, with edibles, uh, with vapes, it's all different. Edibles, you start at a slower rate. And then in most people, it spikes high and it stays high for a longer period of time. Whereas marijuana is a more, it's, uh, uh, it's actually, you know, faster up on the nanogram level and then it comes down. And so at that point, you're leaving the officer to determine, okay, are you a man or a woman? How heavy are, how heavy are you? What is your uh, f uh, familial background? Um, when did you last use? What type did you use? How much did you use? It's it's impossible. The science is not there, and other states are changing their levels all the time. Oregon is freaking out over the level of OWI that they have to where they, they're lowering their nanogram level to suggest that, hey, five wasn't safe. Let's go to two. But, you know, at the same time, we're talking about a state that has decriminalized psilocybin and is not far from Vancouver, which just decriminalized much harsher drugs. I know that that's not in line with the nanogram level, but what, what I'm trying to get to is there's, there's no hard uh, structured science around this. So, it, it, you know, I, I can agree with the sentiment that, um, you know, some people may be punished unjustly if they traveled to another state spent a few days there and came back. But the problem is we just don't know. And that's why the per se rule is honestly the best rule at this point, because it's the safest way to say don't drive if you've used it. Right. Whereas, you know, otherwise we're just shooting in the dark. I guess not even taking account what you can do in our state, just with our own legal products in our state of Indiana, it's, it's a concern for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Besides new terms like zip, we used to be dime bags and lids back in my day. But um, you, you mentioned this infraction system. So are you is, would, would the prosecutors be in favor of a more spread out system of infraction, criminal penalties for possession of uh, when we talk about amounts? Is that something that you, your organization would prefer to see? I think it would be a step in the right direction. I don't want to speak for our whole, whole organization because when, when, when I discuss with, with, uh, with our board and say, hey, there are, you know, these bills that have been filed amongst the General Assembly, do we want to take a step in this direction? And the resounding answer is no. So um, my point with the infraction is this basically says that anything below two ounces is legal. There is no, there is no uh, 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 course of action that a municipality can take, right? And uh, it's something that every other state 
has on the books, and it's something that every other state's cons- you know considered. Now, obviously, there are legal states that have said you're you know there's no criminal penalty if you possess one ounce or less because that's the daily buying limit that you can get a dispensary. Representative Gore. Thank you, Madam Chair. Brock, would uh, would IPAC move to support if it were reduced to one ounce? Or would it just be better for I, you guys? I, I think, again, at the end of the day, we'll always be opposed to this. And the purpose is once you open that door, there's no shutting it. There's a lot of societal costs from our end. And, um, you know, again, it, 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 if I could create a world in which we could say we're going to stop here and we're not going to go any further, then, then you know, I would love to be in that world. But we said the same thing with CBD a few years ago, and now we're dealing with a mess in that industry as well. And I'm not a, um, an attorney. I'm just a poor old cop from the southeast side. It, but isn't the slippery slope a logical fallacy? Am I wrong in thinking that? I just, we have it, it's brought up quite a bit, and... I don't know. That's just not what we're considering in this bill today. I understand your point, but um, I think it's literally a logical fallacy. Okay. Um, <laughs> right? I mean, I just well, I we, just we, want to be cognizant of, of you know, what's actually in the bill. And um, mm-hmm. I don't like – I know we got to look down the road, but when we start looking so far down and we start making theoreticals – and you, you had lots of things that weren't theoretical, but it just, uh, you know, irks me a little bit. But – that's just a personal note, I guess. Understood. Representative King. Thank you, Chairwoman. Brock, are you, um, have you been looking at what's happening in Colorado as a result of the legalization of marijuana there at all? We have, yeah. We have, so there's actually a counterpart uh, uh, or a similar entity to IPAC, and uh, they're, they're members of NDAA, and um, I've spoken with them directly. Yeah, and we, we, we have those communications. It's been, it's been a minute, but yes. One of the things that I was struck at is the number of emergency room visits that have taken place from 2005 before the legalization of marijuana to to 2019. So related to um, cannabis-related emergency room visits. So in 2005, they had 2005 that was when the study was done. It may have been, it was legalized after that. But in 2005, they did a study, 366 emergency room visits related to cannabis-related emergency visits. Mm-hmm. 2019, when they did the same study, 12,167. And those kinds of things included things like uh, uh, toxic reactions, uh, including cardiac and psychiatric problems. I have, a, I have a deep concern for Hoosiers, and I think we're not, we're not ready for prime time here in Indiana. My concern is for, you know, even when we talk about the age limit, 21, is that an arbit- why did we decide 21? One of the things that I have come to understand is that uh, marijuana affects the frontal lobes of a person's brain, and we know science tells us that y- your brain, our brains, are not developed until... Studies originally had said 25. Now they're saying up to 28 years of age. So I'm concerned about a lot of things in this bill. I appreciate your testimony. Um, I appreciate the author bringing this. I just, I have, I think there's uh, a lot more work to do on this. And I'm looking at what other states have done and some of the challenges that they have had, Colorado being one. So thank you for your testimony. Absolutely.
And that will do it for this edition of Indiana Issues. You can catch us out the week at our parent website, IndiePolitics.org. I'm Abdul Hakeem Shabazz. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time on Indiana Issues. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.